Welcome to Bloomberg's Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr with Scott Soschnick and Bloomberg Sports Business reporter Evan Noby-Williams. Over the next hour, we'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And that includes the Houston Rockets. They are on the verge of being sold for what may be a record price. Today, we spend the hour with the man in charge of the sale, Rockets CEO Tad Brown. You know, there really hasn't been a professional sports franchise that's been put up for sale at its zenith, maybe ever. We will have more of our interview with Houston Rockets CEO Tad Brown in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top business of sports stories of the week. And Scott and Nebin, we will stay with basketball. You have to find a way to pay for Stephen Curry's $200 million contract. That's right. And remember, you never use your own money, right? That's rule number one in business. Don't use your own money. So the Warriors are looking at a roadmap that we've seen for a long time from the NFL. They're going to make their customers pay. They're moving into a new building, another billion-dollar expense, and they're going towards the personal seat license model. For those unfamiliar, personal seat license means you have to pay me for the right to then pay me. Right, Evan? Exactly. And the genius of this is they're saying they're going to pay their fans back after 30 years. So they're saying it's a loan, really. You're going to get your money back if you're still with the team. But that amounts to 30 years where they can do whatever they want with the money. They can invest it. It's an interest-free, tax-free loan. That works out great for the Warriors. This is coming from a change, a recent change in the IRS. And you know who petitioned the IRS for this designation? The L.A. Rams and the L.A. Chargers. You know why they made that petition? Hmm. Because they are going to do the very same thing. They're going to charge the PSL, but repay it. I believe it's going to be over 50 years, not 30. They're going to go 50 years out. And this is not new in the NBA. The Toronto Raptors, they are the first NBA team to deal with the personal seat licenses. Listen, it's it's a revenue stream. That's it. These teams will do whatever their customers allow them to do. If there's a market for the seats, if it's that popular and people want in that badly, they will pay the fee to then go ahead and pay the fee. At least these, I know it's over multiple decades, but at least these you get back. Uh, In football right now, most of the teams, you just pay thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, and that's it. You're out the money. Well, like Scott and Evan, what you just said earlier, yes, it's like a loan, but you have to stay for the entire, what, 30 years for this? Exactly. If you opt out of it, that's it. You're not going to get your money back. Well, you can sell the seat license. You can't make a profit on these. That's one thing that the team is not allowing you to do. But you can transfer the seat license to somebody else. And as part of that transaction, you could say, when come due, I get my money back. This is what happens when you have the best player in basketball. You've got another one of the top three stars. You have a new billion-dollar arena coming in. When you're this hot as the Warriors are, you can you forgot you can ask something. For this. You forgot something. Not only the great players, they won. Exactly. They so. won the championship. When you win it all, and you are the best show in town, and your front row seats are littered with Silicon Valley billionaires, you can do this. So some other teams in the NBA, I won't mention any names, can't do this. No, if the demand is not there, if you have empty seats in your arena, do you think you're going to get season ticket holders? the ones you're trying to get, to pay money for the right to then pay you money? doesn't work that way. MSG could probably get away with this. They don't because it's such high demand in the corporate seats. But this isn't for everybody. Another story we are following. Formula One's new owner can't believe that there aren't more sponsors. I can't believe that Formula One's new owner can't believe that there aren't new sponsors. (laughs) Because when you pony up all that money to buy a race series, you've looked at the books, right? You know where the revenue comes from. You know that there are opportunities, but John Malone 
And Chase Carey, his CEO, certainly knew that this is a growth area for the sport. And I know you love all this stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah. Open wheel racing, not my thing, but I know you love it. John Malone's Liberty Media Corporation, they bought Formula One for $8 billion back in January, Evan. Yeah, this is posture. I mean, they knew, obviously, that what the sponsorship portfolio looked like, and this is why they bought it. They bought it because the past owners weren't doing as good a job monetizing the incredible amount of content they had and their incredible popularity and the fact that, let's be honest, most of the fans of Formula One are wealthy. You know, they're willing to spend some time in Monaco. They're willing to go to Azerbaijan for the weekend. great demographic, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so you can monetize that, and that's what they're doing. We saw it last week. One of the first deals Liberty signed with Formula One was Snapchat. They're trying to reach out to younger folks. They're trying to be hipper. They're trying to be cooler. They realize that if you can put together a quick video behind the scenes of this car getting built or a driver behind the wheel, there's a lot of content out there that was not being used by previous owners that they can do better with. I hope you guys aren't tired of me talking about scalable media. I mean, I do it with almost every guest because it's so important to the revenue streams of all the sports and the teams. But here are some numbers. How about this? McLaren Honda, 26 corporate backers. Ferrari, 28, including a Thai brewery, a Spanish bank, a Russian cybersecurity firm, firm, and a different Italian automaker. This is global. So when you have scalable media, and we're talking digital, this is how you reach the world. This is why this is valuable property. Companies want to be involved here. And if you're out there publicly saying, hey, I'm surprised that there aren't more of them, you're essentially asking companies to call your number. And a quick fact, currently right now, F1, they have just five corporate sponsors. NASCAR, by comparison, has 40. That's five on every fender. (laughs) And the A-frame. Another topic that we're following here on the business of sports, let's talk about the U.S. Open singles champs. They will earn a record $3.7 million. Yeah, it's the price O seems to be going up, and that's just a, a product of revenue going up. So this is not surprising because they're finding new ways to generate revenue. But... I do like the fact, this is my favorite fact of this whole thing, that if you lose in the first round, you get 50000 bucks. And we hear a lot about these folks on the tour trying to make a living where they lose money for coaches and meals and travel. This is a good one. I mean, you could probably pay for your season just by qualifying for the Open these days. And the U.S. Open is always trying to be the biggest prize purse. It's something that they take pride in. It's something they put out a lot. As you've seen in the past couple years, Wimbledon, the French Open, Australian Open, they're always increasing their prize purses a little bit each year as well. This is an attempt by the U.S. Open to keep themselves a little bit ahead of what everyone else is doing. Evan Scott, the U.S. Tennis Association, announced that the total purse for the tournament will be $50.4 million. That's nearly a 9% increase from last year. Well, last year they talked about the roof incessantly. It was all about the roof over the Australia Stadium. That was the star of the tournament for the first week was this roof. They were waiting for a little bit of rain. This year they can talk about their prize money being the biggest and the best. It's New York. It's the event. Everybody associated with that tournament wants to make sure they know we give away the most money. Now we're going to turn to the biggest sports story of the week. Leslie Alexander bought the Houston Rockets back in 1993 for $85 million, and now he has put the NBA team up for sale. Big money, Michael. The bankers I talked to say the Rockets will get more than $2 billion. Of course, you know, that's what Steve Ballmer played for the Clippers, the record standing. Our guest this hour is the man in charge of getting that price, CEO Tad Brown. Tad, thanks for joining us. As far as I can tell, everybody seemed to be taken by surprise by Les's decision to sell the team. Does that include you? Um, I would say a little bit, but but not completely. You know, Leslie and I speak all the time. Um, 
and he's he's been approached quite a bit in the past, but it's never anything that he's really wanted to consider. And then when we had a conversation on Monday, I had spent a lot of time with him the last couple of weeks, uh, but we had a conversation on Monday where he told me what he was thinking and the things that he wanted to focus on and, and uh, that he felt it was time. Uh, we talked through it a little bit, and he, he pretty much had made up his mind. And so from that point, you know, you know Leslie, and, and uh, I've worked with him for 16 years now. Um, you know, once he makes up his mind, he feels good about it, and he's ready to move forward. So then it was just a matter of how do we, how do we uh, handle this the best way we can? How do we get the process up and running? And then, um, you know, how do we make sure that we protect him and we protect uh, the city of Houston and our fans uh, to make sure we find the right person? So I guess step one is tell the world this asset is for sale. What was the reaction like? It's been... Uh, it's been pretty overwhelming, to be honest. I think the it did catch a lot of people by surprise, simply because of the high-profile nature of our brand. Uh, certainly, the high-profile uh, team that we have. Uh, some recent announcements that we've had, where we've extended James for the largest contract in NBA history. We've brought on Chris Paul. You know, we've signed uh, some other players, Luke Mabamute. We brought Nene back. We've got the sixth man of the year and Eric Gordon, um, you know, Trevor Ariza. We've got a great nucleus and a great team that's going to be competing at a high level for a championship this year. And then you combine that with kind of the success that the organization has had on a consistent basis, not only throughout the region, Houston's the fastest growing market in the country, um, uh, but as well as we're the number one team in China. And you look at all those success factors and you think, you know, there really hasn't been a professional sports franchise that's been put up for sale at its zenith maybe ever um and and so i think it caught a lot of people not only within the league but within the business community by surprise but um but it also turns out to be an opportunity because uh we've we've been approached by uh, a great number of people as you can imagine both uh, both on the buy side as well as uh, folks who are looking to represent um, and it, it, it just is a testament to what Leslie's built, the culture that he's built, uh, the team that he's established, and the, the power of the brand that we have on a global scale. Like you said, you signed a record deal with James Harden. You have a number of high-profile trades. The next question, though, is if someone is open to buying the team, do they want to see all of those high-profile trades? Oh, if. If they didn't want to, I'd be very surprised why they would buy the team. Because the ultimate, the ultimate goal, as as everybody knows in pro sports at least, is to win. And uh, the team is really set up right now to compete uh, at the highest level within the NBA. Any owner that comes in, it's their prerogative to decide, you know, what they would like to do. But we're operating under the uh, under the guise of, you know, the the what we've been able to establish and the culture that we've built and and the directive that Mr. Alexander has put has put us at the top of the league for a long long time. We've got the second most wins in the last decade. He's the fifth uh, he's got the fifth most wins or fifth highest winning percentage during his tenure, multiple world championships, four WNBA championships. Uh it it proves uh that his his uh his system works. And so we're going to keep that going and we're going to keep making the deals that we need to get us over the top to uh, compete, you know, with uh, with the Warriors and with the best in the league, uh, and we feel that that's the right thing to do. Anybody coming in, as you know, they have every prerogative to operate the way that they would like, 
but it's really that's part of the process that's part of the vetting process and that's part of understanding who it is that that we're going to engage in the acquisition uh, of the franchise because you want to make sure that you that you have someone who believes in in the same values the same results the same community-minded focus the same global imprint the same business uh, opportunities uh, that are currently in place because we think the we think that it works really well. Uh, we think it's 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 an opportunity that continues to grow and build uh, not only throughout Houston but on a global scale. And and we would hope that somebody would take that and continue to try to extend it and make it better as opposed to completely changing it. Tad, I'm sure two weeks ago your plate was full enough. There's enough for you guys to do. You can sell a lumberyard for $2 billion. Like Nobody really cares. But these assets are different, right? You understand the high-profile nature of this. Why did Les choose to go, as they say in real estate, FISBO, for sale by owner, rather than engage a, an investment banking, either investment banker or a firm that does this regularly? Well, I, I think Leslie is a, he's a very uh, creative, uh, very strategic, very smart Man, I mean, he's one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's he's been uh, a very unique, aggressive. Uh, he's he's been a different owner in the sense that he's tried to be a, a, a groundbreaker in many in many areas. You know, certainly his hiring of Daryl Morey and the ushering of the analytics movement and the sports science movement within the NBA was at the time it was unheard of. I, you guys probably remember that he was he was widely criticized for that, and it's worked out okay. And and a lot of people have followed suit. So. Um, you know, he, he's just a person who believes in himself. He believes in his team. Uh, it's not that we're just going to be eschewing any anybody who could help us in a strategic fashion, but we think that the people who know this organization and who know the assets that are built here and know the opportunities that 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 exist are the ones who live it and breathe it and have built it every single day. Can you walk me through your next, let's say, three to six weeks normally? A, in, in a sale like this, you put together a book. It's called a deck. The prospective buyers get it. They look at some of the financials and they decide if they want to proceed. Where are you right now? And can you just sort of lay out your roadmap for the next month or six weeks? Yeah, the next month or six weeks, we're really in in the beginning process of. I'm, I'm having conversations with everybody who has expressed an interest. So we're having the initial kind of get to know you conversations. We're also starting the the initial vetting process. The league has a mandatory form and a, and a mandatory uh, kind of outline of the things that they need to know about before you get too far down the line with the potential uh, with the potential uh, acquisition um, so that that's going along at the same time this really just came up relatively quickly so we've got a good kind of general overview on who we are and what our opportunities are and the current assets that that are here and our philosophies and everything else that is easy to send out and during that initial process, that really is going to probably take, you know, we're getting, I'm probably getting 15 to 20 people a day uh, that we're just having direct conversations with, and that's actually increasing as we go forward. So I expect we're going to be doing a lot of vetting, a lot of early discussions, uh, some, some back and forth on general materials and general finances, and just, you know, base, a, a basic outline of, of the structure of the business as well as the structure of the league business. And then you really get into the process of vetting it down to a few, a handful of people that you look at and say, okay, these are these are true buyers that are committed, they're passionate, they're the ones who are, are the best fits for what what the city is looking at and what 
what will fit with the players and how Leslie feels about the acquisition and, of course, the price, the value proposition. And then you really get into the, you know, exchange of all of the details, all of the documents, all of the, all of the go-forward contracts, everything else. And that will be however long that process takes, which normally is much longer than the initial vetting process and going through the early documents. However long that process is going to take, it's going to take. We're not going to rush it. Um, you know, again, Leslie made it very clear at the very beginning uh, that he wants to do it in a manner that's going to find the right person uh, at the right value that's going to be the best for the city, best for the region, best for our global fan base, and that we're going to do everything we need to do with the league and with those people who are going to be helping us to make sure that we get that done in as timely a fashion as possible, but in, in, a, in, a, in a manner that is going to uh, coincide with us finding the best, the best buyer. Speaking of global fan base, have you heard from Yao Ming, probably one of the most famous rocket players ever, especially in China. So is he in play in this? I think we had, we had the, com, the, the, um, the press conference at 2 o'clock Central Time on Monday. Yao Ming woke up at 6.15. He called me at 6.16. <laughs> so, yes, I, I have heard from Yao. I, I wouldn't say he's in play. Uh, I, I heard from Yao as a as a concerned friend of of uh, the organization, but also as a as a real close friend of Leslie's and of mine. You know, he he just the first thing is he wants to make sure is everybody okay, everybody's okay. You know, it's just a a decision uh, that that Leslie has made to to make a change in his life and to really focus more on philanthropy and the things that that he's passionate about at this point. And then after that, it was more of he he might have some ideas, he might have some people that that he would like to talk to. Um, he's certainly going to be approached. And our our partners in China, you know, Yao's got a full-time job now. He's got a huge job. He's he's basically the Adam Silver of the Chinese Basketball Association and of the Chinese Basketball Federation. Um, so he's really in the middle of it with a lot of that. But he's also a rocket for life, and he's somebody that, that uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk to and we're going to, we're going to lean on for advice, and he's going to lean on us for advice. And if something happens in that regard with a with a potential Chinese buyer, uh, we think it would be great as long as uh, that buyer is able to meet all the expectations for Mr. Alexander as well as uh, all the requirements from the league office. But uh, it's uh, we certainly have already received some interest from China, and we expect to actually receive more. Uh, let you say requirements from prospective buyers. I can think of maybe two billion requirements that they have to have. What else are you talking about besides just dollars? I really think it's about passion and it's about it's about resources and it's about commitment. You know, you the, there are only so many teams in the world, um, and there, there's no question when you see the most successful professional sports franchises um, historically. It's, a, it's really about the passion and the willingness uh, of the owner uh, to make sure that the culture and that the management is in place that is going to make this team continue to thrive and continue to grow and, and look at all areas at all times to make sure you're doing everything you possibly can to, to be better, to be a better, to be better on the court and to be better off the court, uh, to be better in the community. And, and it, it, it sounds like it might be a simple thing, but being truly passionate and caring about what you're doing from an ownership perspective 
is something that isn't always it isn't always part of the M.O. Of, of organizations. We're talking to Houston Rockets CEO Tad Brown, and we sound like broken records every time we start talking about sales or the financial success of any team. But we go back to TV rights. In 2014, the NBA signed a nine-year, $24 billion deal with ESPN and Turner, and that has helped all of the NBA owners. And that has, the, obviously, to factor into the price when you sell the team. Sure, I mean that that deal was terrific. Adam and the league did a did a great job and and worked with uh, our our television partners to really establish a creative and strategic long term plan for uh, the television growth of the league. I would also say it also really helped with our relationship with our players because our players are now the highest paid players on average of any professional sport in the world, um, and it helps with cost certainty, right? So all these. All these elements really help with the structure and the infrastructure of the league, and a lot of it is driven by that additional television money that's going to be going out for years to come. Um, it, it, the stability, the the revenues that are coming in from the TV contract, you know, the partnership with the players are, is in a great situation with the extension of the CBA. The league is in as good a place maybe as it's ever been in its history. It's aside from soccer, it is clearly the the top sport in the world and rivaling soccer on a global basis now and there's no there's no there's no indication right now that it's going to stop anytime soon so it's the the nba is in a great place as an investment as a as a fan of the game uh you know it's it's something that that people are very excited about and i think that rep that's representative of the potential buying community Tad, the Bucks set a record, the Hawks set a record, Balmer two billion set a record. All the things you're talking about, scalable media in China, whether it's traditional TV or we're talking video clips via Twitter, these are all going to drive the valuation of this franchise, the scarcity value, of course. What do you expect the final number will be? I don't. I I certainly cannot say. Um, uh, I do believe that we have the ability, based on our brand and based on the infrastructure that Leslie has put in place and the successful business that he's put in place, I think it's going to be a very unique and substantial opportunity uh, as a sale. And, and I, I wouldn't hazard to put a number on it. Uh, I do think that we are in a, in a really fortunate position based on our market and based on all mitigating factors that um, – that, that we should have a, a terrific uh, outcome. Um, you know, but one thing I also would say, w- which, which I think is, is something Leslie is going to talk more about and, and that, uh, that we'll, we'll get at, is uh, much of the, the money that, uh, that he's looking to generate from the sale, it, he's going to put back into global philanthropic efforts. So he, he's really looking at this as, as a transaction to, to help him deliver on some other passions that, that he's really excited about and changing people's lives throughout Houston, through, you know, throughout the U.S., throughout the world, um, and things that, that he's really excited about. So, you know, we're going to do absolutely the best we can. We're going to drive the best number that we think is fair for a franchise of this magnitude on a global scale, um, you know, and take advantage of all the, the assets that have been built and the hard work that's been built by the employees and the, and the players and the coaches of this organization over the years. And, and we're going to take advantage of that, and we think we're going to have a, a very strong outcome. Tad, would you explain to the listeners 
that it's not easy to just show up in China and do business. This is a process. The league has been there for decades. You as a team have been there for decades. That this doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. And and yes, you you need a you need kind of a seminal moment, if you will. And and ours was with Yao Ming, um, but ours was also back in 1990, 1994. The New York Knicks and the Houston Rockets were the first game broadcast live in China during the the NBA Finals. And there was a young man who was watching that game named Yao Ming, whose favorite player then became Hakeem Olajuwon. So uh, then you fast forward to when we drafted Yao with the number one pick. Um, it just kind of brought this full circle of, of opportunity and of excitement between the Chinese fans and the Houston Rockets. But then what you have to do is you have to be authentic. I mean, the, the, the Chinese fans are some of the most sophisticated, passionate, loyal fans that you will ever meet in any country in the world and you can't fake it with them you you've got to really put the time in we've been on the ground in some point or in some part or fashion or or hosting some event literally every single year since 2002 that uh and sometimes multiple times a year um so we were the first team to play in the china games uh, back in 04 we've been back four times since we've been there the most of any team uh, in the league for good reason, because the league wants us there because we're the most popular club and it's self-fulfilling. But then we're also there in the off-season with players and coaches and front office personnel visiting our corporate partners, talking about the upcoming season, making sure that we're developing relationships with the NBA personnel who are there and, and the, local, the local personnel in Beijing and the communities in Shanghai and Xi'an and Guangzhou and Shenzhen and you name it, you've got to be there and you've got to be consistent in the way that you that you present yourself and that you work. And that then translates to long-term stability and long-term uh, passion and loyalty from those fans because they know you, you care about them and they know that you're developing opportunities for them to connect with your team. The one great thing about, one of the great things about Leslie that he's always believed is that the only way your organization is going to be successful and the only way that you are going to become a championship caliber organization is if you focus on your players and you give them everything that they possibly need to win. And it, it also helps that you have happened to have some of the greatest players in NBA history play for your franchise because you, know, you, can't, you can't replicate an Akeem Olajuwon or a James Harden or a Yao Ming or a Tracy McGrady or just – Clyde Drexler, you name it, year after year after year, decade after decade, these incredible players, they carry the mantle for us. They develop our, our history. They're the ones that our fans and, and the people all over the world embrace and love. And that's what the Houston Rockets are going to be known for long into the next decades, no matter who owns the team and, and, and whatever happens. All right, that's Tad Brown, Houston Rockets CEO, point man on the sale of the franchise. Tad, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Takeaways from the interview with Tad Brown, I think what was interesting is why Les Alexander wants to retire. It, you only, only 30 of these things are out there, so you own an NBA team. It's not like, hey, you know, I'm tired of owning this Vega. I want a Lincoln. No, you own an NBA team, and he just got to a stage in his life. He's in his 70s now. And uh, he, he just wanted to change of pace. Certainly didn't need the money. But my takeaway is the most important man, not only in this transaction, but right now, perhaps in basketball, Yao Ming. Yeah. One minute for him to call. Yes, he was checking on less. 
But this reminds me of the Dodgers, where they needed Magic Johnson because he was that guy in L.A. to make everything okay. All the bid groups met with Magic at Magic's office, by the way. That's how much he was in demand. They're all going to call Yao. This makes sense. If you're going to own the Rockets, you want Yao Ming as an ambassador for that club to continue those ties in China, to push sales, to push digital downloads, to push everything. He really is the most powerful man in this transaction. Now let's turn to our number of the week. The number is 540,000. Do you know why that's the number of the week? I do, because we we discussed it ahead of time. But only because we discussed it ahead of time. (laughs) Because my number back at you is zero. As in, this makes zero sense. Heijin Choi, 17 years old, an amateur, plays the U.S. Women's Open. She finishes second. Now, the second place finisher is entitled to a $540,000 check. Only she can't take it because she's an amateur. That is ridiculous to me. At least put it in a fund anything so she can get it later on. A trust anything, but say, oh, you just don't get it. See yeah, you, you hear about things like this with the NCAA. They can't take payments. They can't They can't take amateur, amateur. Yeah, let's, let's figure out a trust fund for education, something. But if you're there and you're playing and your skill puts you in a position to win the tournament and you finish second, give me the check. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we talk the business of soccer. Our guests will include the man who signs Leo Messi's paycheck, Josep Bartomeu, the CEO of FC Barcelona. Barcelona. 